you ever packed for a trip, completed the trip, and didn't wear or use half or three-quarters of what you brought. Or you went to Hawaii and can't believe you didn't pack a swimming suit. Or you went to Denver in January and didn't pack a coat or a sweatshirt. How could we miss the most essential and fill our bag full with stuff we'll never use? It's one thing to bring extra, no doubt about it. It's, and maybe you don't need it, you can discard it, and you just ignore it. But what's even more consequential is, really to the overall trip, is to absolutely leave out the most essentials, the reason why you were going. Maybe you didn't even understand why you were going. You just brought everything just in case. You were abundance of caution, right? But that abundance of caution can weigh you down. Now, I realize a lot of us, it's just a lack of planning. Yeah, maybe. Or you're just in a hurry, and you're just trying to get on that trip, and you're just shoving everything in. How many of you have ever done that? Just, got, just in case. Just in case. I don't have time to get this. I'm just going to shove it all in. Could be a lack, again, of understanding of where you were headed in the first place. Could be the lack of focus or intent. What if you really had to nail down on the trip that you're going, you could only take the essentials? Last week, closed with the challenge of what you may have to offer or surrender, with the challenge of understanding, of identifying, if nothing else, the unacceptable. And really beginning to say, okay, what decisions, because decisiveness brings power, what decisive intent do I need to have in my life moving forward? Advance. March of last year, the world changed, didn't it? I preached. A year ago, closed out a series out of 1 Timothy. Now, and I know many of you, it's just seared in your mind right now. You will remember part of it, because I'm going to whip it out here in just a minute. But we were asked to stand pat, to stand. You know, often in Scripture, we're asked to stand. Now, we're asked to stand and set aside maybe our own desires and sacrifices. But here we are a year later, and I hope and pray, even though we were asked to stand by our government, and and God bless the the ones who are trying to figure that out, I have really tried to figure out, uh, I know what it's like to be in leadership trying to make decisions, so I give leadership a lot of grace, I realize. But in the middle of all that, I also know I can't lose my direction. Stand. 
I can't lose my focus. I can't look to the left or to the right. I'm not talking political again. I can't look. I've got to keep focused. When I'm asked to stand, sometimes God asks us to stand. But when he asks us to stand, he wants us to hold firm. To not waver. To not be swayed. Stand firm. A year ago, it's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? Things came to a standstill. Question is, did you? Here's the problem in our spiritual walk. We never stand still. Either you're continuing to march towards the cross or you're walking backwards. But you said, just stand, Kurt. Oh, yeah, but in standing, I'm still praising. In standing, I'm still building my faith. In standing in my quietness where I've been camped out. Sometimes God just says, camp there for right now. But God may in many ways say, don't drive the stakes too deep. Because we may be breaking camp in a minute. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Paul is writing here, and, and Paul, as, you'll, as we'll read it in the, in the letter, he's, he's really, in one of his times of being in jail, don't really know where it is, because for Paul, sometimes it's hard to figure out because he's been there so many times, right? He's just like, okay, just writing from jail. But Paul gives us a great assurance here in this passage of Scripture. I'll read it for you. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clearer throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What has happened to me, what Paul is right, I want to assure you, brothers and sisters, whatever has happened, there is an opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. Whatever has happened, there is an opportunity for people watching your life to gain faith and confidence of how you walk that out. There is never a point where there's not an opportunity for the gospel to advance. And when the gospel advances, guess who else advances? The church we do advance. Now, I realize some have come in today. It has been a hard year. 
and exhausted, and I understand all that, but I hope this series will be an encouragement the way we're going to walk through it. I hope it will be an encouragement to you because sometimes we do need to rest, and we need to stop, and we need to, I am all for rest and margin, believe me. If you hear my, if you know me well, I'm for that. Whether I live it out or not, I'm for it. But it's to get us ready. And as I ended that series last year in 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 15, I'm going to read it again here, and, and we're not going to preach that series for you, because I think it went like six weeks or whatever. We're supposed to go one Sunday. You've ever heard of somebody doing that, preach a sermon for one Sunday, it ends up being six weeks? I don't know. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. He's writing this to Timothy. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Let me just break this down for you, just image-wise. I like, how many of you like images? It helps, helps me. Why do we have this set up here today? Some of you are going, that's a waste of time. Eh, I just had it, I needed to unload some stuff at my house, so I just brought stuff up here so I could pack it away. The motorcycle doesn't run, so don't, just don't, don't try any tricks across the stage here. Paul says to set an example. The literal word, I'm going to go through this fast so you can listen fast, hopefully. The word set there means to fundamentally, it means becoming. In other words, become an example. Not just set, become this, become, become. I, 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 I am transformed and I am being transformed. I'm becoming an example. Become an example. What was Paul, as we write in Philippians, he's an example. I am making, I'm, I'm setting an example so you can gain faith. But he said, set an example, and many of you remember me talking about this last year, I'm sure, but it's one of my favorites because I like anything that has kind of violence involved in it. Not, not really, but, but I love that thought. It, it, the word example there in the Greek, it is an imprint by striking repeatedly. In other words, forged by repetition. You are leaving a stamp. You're leaving a mark on people's lives. It's not like, oh, set an example, clean up after yourself. No, you are leaving a mark. As I said last week, how great's the sacrifice? How great's your vision? Do you seek a life of leisure or a life of long-term impact? Don't neglect. And what he means is, literally means here, don't live like you don't care. Don't live indifferent to this faith. Don't live indifferent to the call on your life. Don't live indifferent to this. Don't meander around like you're wandering around all over the place. 
devote. In other words, give full attention. It literally means to set a course. It means to be decisive, have a decisive intent is what it means. Devote yourself. Get a plan. Put it together. Be diligent. In other words, be absorbed. It's like a sponge being thrown into water. You're absorbed by this. We, we talk in Corinthians, Paul talks about Christ's love compels me. I can't help it. But to do what he's asking me to do, his love compels me. So that, in other words, all that I just said here, Paul goes, so everything I just said here, so that everyone may see your progress. The word in the Greek there, and again, like I've told you before, I can butcher, I butcher the English language, so I know I can butcher the Greek language. Prokopi describes not merely moving ahead, but doing it against obstacles. An explorer or an advanced team hacking a path, clearing a way through dense trees and underbrush for the marching army to follow. Yes, I get to bring out my favorite prop. This is the image I get of what God has called me to do. It's to set an example. And one of those is advance. The little word there, Procopi, is to advance. You let them see your advance. Let them see your progress. So as we go over these next four weeks, leading to Easter, I hope this is an encouragement to you. One of the greatest revelations I ever got, I think, in my life, and, and it stuck with me, I realized it, when I gave my life to Christ, it wasn't just what he saved me from. It's what he saved me for. It changed everything. It wasn't just getting me to heaven. It was allowing me to live the abundant life that I didn't even know existed. T.D. Jake says, with moving forward, and I'm paraphrasing this, I took it, the problem is not where you want to go, because we almost have a picture, we almost all have a picture of a better future, a desired future for ourselves, family, and culture. Where we want to go is not the problem. The problem is what we're not willing to let go of in order to get there. Sometimes the most painful part of advancing is we have to leave things behind. And those things have great value to us. If only this whole thing about advancing, the whole thing left alone the places that are sacred to us and only torched the worst part of our lives, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? The problem goes... Problem is, God goes, yeah, I know that's even a good thing, but you can't take it with you. It's not a sin. You just can't take it with you. 
where you're going, you just can't take it with you. What I love about the Church of the Nazarene, one of our foundational scriptures in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, is all about advancing in that way, transformation. And we've talked about it through the Mirror Series. Say, may God himself, the God of grace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, in other words, not just one piece of you, your whole thing, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body and sanctify here, it means to purge or to clean out. What it essentially means is that when you let God in, you begin, as what we were talking about in Lent, you begin to ponder. You begin to think. You begin to see things that you didn't see before. You had to think about it. You had to sit. And you had to camp on some of them. You had to sit down and go, okay, what is this? And those who pursue God this way, with soul, mind, and spirit, holy. I don't mean H-O-L-Y, which it does mean that. <laughs> but W-H-O-L-L-Y. You will have to come to this place. You have no choice. Then you have to begin to say, what do I have to leave behind? Now, just encouragement to you. Next week we'll talk more about what we get to pick up. But what do we have to leave behind? Four things I want to talk about this morning, some briefly, some a little longer, that I think we have to leave behind in some form. Not all of them, so don't hear what I'm not saying. Please listen to me. But we have to examine them. Again, I'm sure there's way more. These are the four I want to touch on this morning. One of them is traditions. One of them is traditions. Could be in family, could be in a culture, could be things we've done before, we kind of get more information later, go, okay, let's don't do that, or people get married, okay? Inside of a family, a tradition we always had with our four kids, now there's more, uh, it, you know, in-laws and outlaws and grandbabies and all this kind of stuff, and yeah, you go, okay, we, this, we can't do it the same way we've always done it. And it's okay, because it's growth. So we, traditions uh, that, that God, God would... Give us, yes, we're going to talk about that. But we're in this season of Lent. Now, for some of you, just so you know, I was a Christian till 2000. Now, of course, I knew what Lent was. I knew what Good Friday was. I knew what Ash Wednesday was. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying there. But I gave my life to the Lord in 1986. I did not observe really Lent season, Ash Wednesday, and I still don't really do that that much, all the way through Good Friday uh, to, to Easter. I did not observe that till probably 2006 or 7. And I really believe God was still transforming my life. Now, when I began, and partly as a, as a community, I, I was willing to open to do that. So when we look at Lent, one thing I realized with Lent and what it helps me with Lent is, whether I observe it just like everybody else does, what it allows me with Lent is, it's much like this ladder here. It's much like this ladder. I start out here like at the end of February, and by the time I get to Easter, I'm more focused on the cross. It just helps me. But I was doing it years before. I was observing Easter way before I understood that. Was I a Christian? Was I a full-blown follower of Jesus Christ? I think I was. 
And if I'd never heard of it or never understood it, would I still been a full-blown follower of Jesus Christ? I think I would have been. But Lent and observing from Ash Wednesday to Good Friday to Easter is there. Dr. Dan is teaching on in Thursology about Good Thursday and Good Friday. One of the things I love about it is, is that it is critical that we understand the prophecies of the Old Testament inform us of, of Jesus and how they come together. But we also in the process realize that Good Friday was given with the intent of the, of the early fathers with the right reasons. They just didn't have all the information. And Dr. Dan's doing a great job of teaching through that. But whatever we do with Holy Week, whether I observe it on Good Friday or Good Thursday or Good Wednesday or wherever I observe that or I don't observe it at all, I can still, I, what I better get figured out is what happens on Easter. It's critical that we understand Scripture and how the prophecies, it builds our faith. But if we go to war over a tradition, we could be in trouble. Because I don't think whether it's Good Thursday or Good Friday is a salvation issue in itself. Oh, but what happened on one, that either day you won't observe is. Communion, we're going to participate. Some do it every service. Some do it every Sunday. Some do it where the, oh, you have to be a member of that church or that belief in order to observe. Some use wine. Some use grape juice. I'm comfortable with all of it. We do it once a month here. We'll do it today. We don't do closed communion. We do open communion to those who who profess in Jesus Christ as their Savior to participate in it. We use grape juice. It has context. Oh, you use grape juice because you guys are teetotalers or whatever that phrase is. I don't know. You guys just, you're, you're better than everybody. So you're legalistic and you don't want alcohol. And even though Scripture says you can have a beer or a glass of wine, I don't see beer in there, but anyway, it's whatever. Uh, and I'm not going to argue about all that. But you need to know context why the Wesleyan movement uses, or the Wesleyan, much of the Wesleyan faith uses. You know, Welch's grape juice came, you know, the reason why there is Welch's grape juice is so you could use it for communion. Mr. Welch, in the late 1800s, developed a pasteurized version of wine so that people who could come and participate in communion, would not, would not, that the actual communion would not be a stumbling block to the intoxication that they saw around them to destroying so many families. That's context. But it doesn't make me believe that because somebody else uses wine that they're wrong. No, that's, that's in Scripture. I've been camped a little bit in Romans 14. I was trying to get through. I've been reading through Romans in my devotional time. I got camped on Romans 14 last Tuesday, and I hadn't left it. I need to go read it. He eats meat, and you eat veggies. 
Thank God for the, for the prime rib and thank God for the broccoli. Hey, but let's don't argue over this. We're going to quit talking about food. But context helps, doesn't it? The church of the Nazarene was, was, was really started to preach holiness to the poor. Where Phineas Brzee, I, I need to have some of you na- having your babies born, especially boys, name them Phineas. I think that's an awesome name. But he had put his arm. They, they reserved the front row for the, for the alcoholics and the people living on the streets. They'd put their arm around them and walk them to the front row. Welcome them in. So there's context. So you can go, oh, you guys are just legalists. You're no, there's context. I gave up alcohol how many years ago now? I can't even, way before I was in, uh, uh, going to be called, well, maybe I was already called to preach, but I wasn't a, a preacher at all or any type. But because for me, it was a, going to be, but not for me, because I think I could still handle it. It was a stumbling block to others who couldn't. I'm not putting that on you. What I'm saying is we've got to look at it and say, that can't go with me. Where I'm headed as an example, as a what? There's some things I'm going to have to let go of. It might not even hurt me. And it may not be bad. But what God's calling me to do he can't go with me. For some of you, it's trivial pursuit and not the game. March, for me, and I'm just telling you one of the things I've committed to for the month of March, and you go, I could do that all day long. That doesn't bother me. Is not watch cable news or check MSN. I've been on that for a week now. I think I'm smiling more. <laughs> I'm not condemning anybody else to do it. I'm just saying for me right now, it's, it's a distraction. It is an absolute distraction to my life and where I want to go to. I'm not saying I won't listen to it later. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is right now, I've got to put it aside. And what, one thing about Lynn is, is beginning to reflect about the footsteps, the little steps headed towards the cross. And part of that is, is setting aside maybe for you. It could be food. It could be time. And every time that that comes along, every time you I, I click on Hulu or whatever, and there comes Tucker Carlson or uh, Anderson Cooper or whatever, whatever, I have to go, in my mind, my commitment to knowing the Lord, not so I can be disciplined and, hey, look at me. No, so I can think differently towards the cross it's a reminder because it was such a bad habit for me I don't know what yours is or you may not be listing any of them I'm not trying to throw that on you either but part of Lent is laying down that weight but in that in our whole life let's take Lent out of it it's trivial pursuits 
You know, I don't know many people, and I've done this too, so I'm not throwing anything on you. I've binge-watched on TV a series or whatever. I've done that too or, or whatever it might be. But I also would say there's not very many people that I know that said, man, I binge-watched, and I am so motivated and fired up and passionate about living life. I don't hear that very often. I just don't hear that very often. Man, I watched all these videos. Here's what the world, here's what browsers do to you. Here's what streaming services do to you. They rewire your brain to ask what's next. They immediately go to the next thing. Try watching YouTube and not go to the next thing. Try watching some uh, Netflix or something and I didn't go to the next thing. You know what they're trying to tell you to do? Don't camp. Don't think too long. Just keep moving. Just keep, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Keep moving. Well, there's a lot to see there in your life. But if we just keep moving, we don't have to look. We camp and we advance. Matter of fact, camping is part of advancing. When you camp with God looking at it and allowing him to examine. That literally is advancing. Then sometimes he'll go, yep, time to advance. <laughs> literally, physically. <laughs> but trivial pursuits. The other one, I would say the third thing is, is memories. Said this for years. We can take the memories, but we may have to leave the memorabilia behind. Often what happens, for instance, I know we've got some weddings coming up, and it's going to be awesome over this next year, but if the wedding day is the highlight of your marriage five years from now, you're in trouble. That's a great memory, and you, and you capture that, and you do that, but it can't be the highlight, the highlight, the best part, because you should be what? Advancing. You should be narrowing. You should be zooming in more and more on God, one, then each other, two. Actually, individually, then in, so you can become everything you're supposed to be. But sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really hard. Because one of the hardest things is that many times we come... And you've heard me use this. So many of you have heard me use this illustration. If you're new today, I use this illustration a lot. That's one the Lord, I believe, showed me years ago as far as our journey with Christ. That when we come to the cross, it's like being here on the ground. The cross, the, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. There's no caste system here. Okay? It's level. And then what happens is that God gets you, lets you get good and firm. I tell people, if God's letting you get steady... Better get ready because he's ready to move you. And what you do is you get here and God goes, and his rungs are like three feet apart. <laughs> They're not like, oh, that little bitty. No, his rungs are like, oh, here we go. Whoops, here we go. Let you get steady, then what? Get ready. 
Because see, and what I love about, the, about this, just as we were talking about for Lent, is that as you go up, it gets narrower, right? Your focus changes. As you go forward, your focus changes. And when you climb it, and you keep focusing, you keep focusing, you keep focusing, you keep focusing, you start to step where it says, do not stand. You better have people around you who are helping you hold this thing that you trust. It can't just be anybody. <laughs> it can't just be anybody. But what has to happen is if I start trying to carry this to the top of those stairs and I look in this suitcase here and, and, and I look and, and there's a 20-pound weight just flopping around, and sometimes there are a bunch of one-pound weights that accumulate I can't go to that next drunk hanging on to that luggage and that baggage. I can't do that. And then what God says, okay, narrow it down to a cool-looking ethos bag. There you go, plug. You know, when we take these students on this leadership trip ethos, it's the only bag they'd get and a sleeping bag. One just like the actually this is an ethos from our family. An ethos sleeping bag right here. Better be tucked tight. When it's time to go, what did y'all do? You got up and you went. And inside of this bag, there were only certain things. You narrowed it down to the essentials. Now again, our trip was our leadership trip was a, again, I said last week, I left out one part of it. It was a it was survivor meets amazing race, which I forgot, meets fear factor. Amen to those who went on it? Amen. But you know what there was not room for in this bag? Distraction. There were no cell phones. For seven to ten days, can you imagine? No checking social media, no posting anything. Are you telling me for seven days? That's impossible. There was no room in this bag for distraction. So I could have carried it. A long ways. But then, God comes along and he goes, no, where you're going is rarefied air. And everything, even your food, everything's going to be in it there. They didn't have to carry their food. Jan did that for them. But now, all of a sudden, you're responsible for you. And everything that you're going to base your life on is in this bag now. It better fit well. But then there's going to be times that God's going to go, it's just you and me. I'm not giving you any of that. If you want to go where I want you to go, if you want to go way up here, You can't bring anything with you right now except the people that you're surrounding yourself with and me. Traditions, trivial pursuits, memories of your life, 
Some of the memories, let me say this to you. I've got memories in my life that are horrible. They get to go with me, but they no longer have prominence. Hear me. I control those memories. They no longer control me. That's critical. You can take them with you, but they fit in a little, little uh, snap uh, uh, baggie. <laughs> and you just get them out when you need them. They're not that size of bag that's on, still on your back. Some of, those, some of you are carrying memories that are like that. The other one is people. Two thousand two, Jan and I were leaving. Jan and I, with the kids, left North Little Rock, flying to New York City. We was going through Newark, going to catch a bus over to Grand Central Station, and stay in a hotel in downtown, or at, at, actually at Times Square. We were just leaving a mission trip in Arkansas where we had ninety-something people. And we got on a plane to start another one. But we we're going to get there a day early. We were, as a family, get there a day early. Or the night early so we could go see Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. Yes, I'm a good dad. Yeah. Now, I got outvoted, actually. No, I just So we land in Newark. We take a bus and we get to Grand Central Station. Now, think about 2002, just for a second. I don't know if we've got some pictures. But 2002, ground zero. You've got to remember what ground zero looked like in 2002. It's hard to imagine that 9-11's almost been 20 years. But ground zero still looked desolate. It was, I mean, you go through the subways, you go to the fire stations, there were pictures everywhere. It was unbelievable what it still felt like then. But we're taking 25 to 30 students and leaders and this is kind of an ethos, pre-ethos, before we called it ethos type thing. And we're going to be working in Harlem, and we're going to be working in, in the streets. And uh, Anyway. But we decided to fly early. Again, take a one night. What I like to do with my kids, at least, you know, some people say, well, I'd hate to be a pastor's kid. I think our kids enjoyed it. They got to see kind of the roughest part of town first, but they always, always got to see the highlights. But they got to travel and be a part of these kind of things. And they, I think they all have an appreciation for it today. Maybe not then, but today. So we land in Newark. We get on a bus. And we end up at Grand Central Station. Many of you know what that looks like. It's an awesome place. Iconic, obviously. And to Times Square, it's supposedly eight-tenths of a mile. You know, back then we didn't have GPS. Didn't say how long it would take. All this kind of stuff. So we land there. We got packing for the week to help do the mission trip, and I got my six members of our family's luggage. Allie will tell you, and I think the kids will, it seemed like the longest walk ever. It had to be a little bit like what Joshua and Caleb felt with the Israelites. Just going, what are we doing? Are we ever going to get there? Are we ever going to get there? No, I, I think it's just around the corner. But as we walked, Colton at this time is seven, okay? So we're walking, and we're walking, and we're walking, and it just seems like forever, and all of a sudden, I'm looking up, and I've got more suitcases strapped across me, 
more of them, more bags strapped across me, more bags strapped around my neck. Now I'm carrying Colton, and I am pulling a suitcase with a five-and-a-half-gallon five cooker. You've got to fix that. You know, cooker's like that. Coming along behind me, just dragging, we're just going, and I'm going, I literally probably had six, seven, eight bags on me, plus a suitcase, plus the cooker, plus Colton. That is the truth. That's not an exaggeration. Just wish we had a picture. But you know what picture I had in that moment? In my mind in that moment was this picture right here. That is, the, that is the truth. I told Jan right there, I feel like the Beverly Hillbillies have come to New York City. And we had an awesome time. And it was a phenomenal trip. What I remembered that day was, and we made a deal as a family. I can carry your baggage for a while. But there's a point I'm not doing you a service to keep carrying it. And I need to be the kind of person who would. So the fourth thing today is people. I think I've said that. Tradition, trivial pursuits, memory, and people. I've got to have people around me if I'm going to go to the top of there that I don't have to carry all their baggage. Oh, I can for a little bit, but i got to have the courage to look them in the eye and go, I ain't carrying this anymore. And then from that trip on, and Allie will tell you and the kids will tell you, our deal was, if you can't carry it, don't pack it. Here's the deal. I'm 61 years old. I'm not going to carry a lot of other things for other people. And what I mean by that is, I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to challenge you. Because I'm at an age, I don't have 10 years to burn trying to carry your luggage. I might carry it for a little bit, but I'm going to look you in the eye and go, okay, it's time to move. It's time to do something or you're going to have to carry it on your own. Matter of fact, you need to be carrying it on your own anyway. But it's time to move. I'd even say that about memories. I'm going to step back into that. Some of you are carrying baggage from a person who may no longer be alive even. It's time to set that down, take control of it, bring it out when you need to, but it no longer has control of you. You've allowed it to go way too long. It's eaten up too, big, too much of your life. It's not allowed you to go where you're supposed to go. For some of you, it may be perfection. That's all you hear over and over, somebody's voice, perfection, perfection, when reality is love, love, and let's do the best we can. Let's just do the best we can. Become the best person you can. God, and we'll talk about that more next week. Because it's good things. But sometimes we've got to lay it down first in order to pick up. Because the reason why we can't pick things up, because we're carrying too much already. And let me say this to you. One of the great parts of that mission trip for me was is that we ended up at ground zero at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the morning with 30 of us. And we walked around the church and saw all the pictures because people were still missing. They didn't, they're just still posting it all over the subways. It's just everywhere. And we get down to ground zero, zero and this is, and I knew it was already there, but this is what we saw was the cross. 
The cross had been mounted in the middle. They found the cross in the middle of the rubble. I'm telling you, folks, 2020, advance the gospel. The cross is still there. It's always there. In the middle of the rubble of 9-11, the cross was still there. Yeah, the atheists fought to keep it out. I get it. And they lost. But I remember standing there with these 30 teenagers and other people. And it's like, like I say, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And these students started singing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And this, they sang, and then the other people started singing. Because they knew it too. Even in the midst of being imprisoned, Paul says, the gospel advances. The kingdom of God is moving forward whether you want to go with it or not. At times he says camp, but the camping is to reflect. The camping is to sit down and go, okay, where am I in this? But then he's going, don't drive those stakes too deep. Because we may be breaking camp in the morning. If you take your elements, if you received them, and hopefully you have your home would take those as we're going there I'm just going to as their band is coming okay I got to get better at this ah, I got it again I know sometimes I talk way too much about my kids and I don't know if you have that picture or not, Allie. There's a picture sent to me this morning. That's my son and Heath. 20 years ago or so. Heath moved all the way back to Texas. They're first cousins. Well, they're not actually first cousins. They're whatever they are. They're brothers. I know Colton's not in here. He's working with the kids right now. But when I saw this picture, it just reminded me of God's grace and what he can do. Because I know both those young men, even though they lived many miles apart, both meandered. (laughs) But God brought them to a place like here 20 years later, getting married in the same year, married to the best friends of all things. And just thank you, God, for your grace. Because I didn't know that. Having conversations now that I've never had with my son. That is just so precious. And all I know to do when I come to a table like this is first give thanks. It's just give thanks. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of the cross, of where we're headed, where we're walking, as where we're advancing one foot forward. And along the way, he gives you these little glimpses going, I had it. I had it. There was a way out. I had it. Just to thank him. But to thank him for my life and saving it 
of what he did on the cross. As I said earlier, this is open communion. You don't have to be a part of this church. We just ask at you, as always, never to make a mockery of it. But to look at it and go, his body and his blood. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, aren't you glad he had decisive intent? Not my will, but yours. Knowing what would happen, but to take the bread and eat. Now, eat to your soul's comfort. Took the juice, or he took the cup of wine. Representative of his death that he was about to, the blood he was about to shed for us. As we come to communion, as we come to this time, I pray as you remember, it's a great comfort to you. (sighs) And just realize there are not enough words. Thank you doesn't seem enough. Take now. Thanks. Begin to comfort our souls. Lord, we pray today across this room as we sang the song earlier to fill up the sky with your praises. Lord, the thing I have learned over the years, and I know it's not everybody's bent to sing or anything, But what I do know is, if I'll just look hard enough, I can see the shadow of the cross. But I also know you're no longer on the cross. I just want to follow you. Sometimes it may be, as we've said, through the wilderness and frozen tundra and desert and the moors. But Lord, as we just keep stepping one foot forward, we do over these next few weeks the resurrection we're just thankful today for it Lord we pray this in your name Jesus